Welcome to our Sunday Sermon Podcast with City Harvest AG Church. Wherever you are in life, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Here at City Harvest, we believe in the undiluted Word of God and the teachings here will enhance your understanding of the Scripture and will help you grow and mature as a Christian. So we hope and pray that you will be blessed by this sermon. Today's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Shine Thomas. Today, I'm going to look at one of the most difficult teachings of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This can feel like a mammoth task, a very difficult command to practice. Why should I love my enemy? Why should I pray for the people who are trying to harm me and cause me pain on my day-to-day life? What does Jesus mean by loving our enemies? Well, I want to speak to a message entitled, Love Without Boundaries, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. We are going to look at this profound teaching of Jesus asking his disciples to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecute them. And we are going to see the context and how the present century we can practice this great command of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Before we dig into loving your enemies, I would like to give you a small detail or the context of this passage. Matthew presents Jesus as the king who has come into this world to establish his kingdom. And if you look into Matthew's writing, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, this king has inaugurated his kingdom. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's telling that anybody who has to get into the kingdom that Jesus is establishing is by repentance, knowing that we are sinful and we need a savior and that savior is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Jesus calls his first disciples and performs healing, which is a sign of that the kingdom of God has come. Then Jesus takes his disciples to the a mountain uh, that is in the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. There are his disciples, few of them, and a great crowd has gathered around Jesus. And he gives an amazing teaching, the teaching that is popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about the Beatitudes, starting by telling, Blessed are the poor in the Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about how one can enter the kingdom that Jesus has just established. 
And then he says that anybody who gets into this kingdom in verse 13 and 14, you become the light, you become the salt of the earth. In other words, kingdom citizens, God's people have great influence in this world. You are the means by which the world can know that there is a true God. And you can be of great influence if you are a kingdom citizen. After talking about all this, Jesus is getting into some practical aspects of obeying the laws of Moses. And when you look at these teachings of Jesus, these are paramount teachings and high standards are set up for a child of God. Jesus interprets or gives meaning to the law of Moses, but he gets little practical and many times we may feel, can we ever fulfill that? My dear child of God, we are living in the kingdom age. When we become the child of God, the kingdom of God is already in us. There is righteousness. God has made us right because of Jesus. There is peace. There is joy. The kingdom values are inside of us. But we are covered by our flesh, which is sinful, and the world, which is evil. And many times we live in this tension between the kingdom values and the worldly values and the desires of the flesh. So a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ lives in constant tension between these two worlds. The coming kingdom of God, which is already in us, but we are surrounded by this evil world. What Jesus says over here is that once you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can live out that eschatological kingdom right now in this world. Yes, the flesh is there. Yes, the world is there. But we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life, to live a life that is pleasing to God and according to the scripture. Amen? So if you are facing that struggle of living a holy life, that is very common because we are living and covered in flesh and in this evil world. But this is the standard God wants us to achieve in our Christian life. That's how we grow into maturity. And nobody can get there just like that. It takes years of practice, years of following Christ, years of reading and understanding the scripture and the Holy Spirit will lead us into maturity. And that's the promise that Jesus is giving us over here. So this should be the standard that we should strive to achieve in our Christian lives. And first of all, Jesus talks about murder. In the Old Testament, if the law of Moses said that the act of murder is murder, in the New Testament, Jesus uh, says that even if you think angrily on your brother, you're guilty of committing murder. See, Jesus is coming back to the heart that the kingdom of God has to come from inside out. It is not that what we show in our exterior, but if you are a kingdom citizen, if you are a child of God, that character that you're displaying outside has to come from a heart that is kingdom heart, a heart that is surrendered to God and heart that is submissive to the word of God and the spirit of God. Amen. Then Jesus addresses the issue of adultery. If according to the law of the land and the law of Moses, the act of adultery is considered adultery, Jesus goes ahead and says that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you are guilty of committing adultery. Again, it comes to the thoughts and the heart issue. Then Jesus addresses the issue of divorce. God never intended man and woman who are united in holy matrimony to be separate. 
and the law of moses has given certain permissions for divorce and jesus interprets it by telling that it is because of the hardness of man's heart no matter what situation in your marriage it all can be seen in the love of god and there is room for reconciliation and forgiveness amen and then jesus talks about your words you are not to take oath on god's name or heaven or by earth because the heaven is god's throne and earth is god's footstool and we are also not to take oath on any name or any temple or anything like that but our words has to be yes or no what is jesus telling over here you need to be very truthful people you don't have to associate yourself with somebody great or a god's name to make sure that what you're saying is right a kingdom citizen is very truthful in what he says he never twists the facts he never spins the fact he never will talk in such a way to gain mileage for himself and put another person down he will not take the name of god in vain but whatever he says yes is yes and no is no profound teaching and god wants us to grow up to that level of living in our day to day lives then jesus talks about eye for an eye in other words jesus talks about revenge in the old testament the law of moses permitted eye for eye and tooth for tooth and jesus here is giving us a new definition and he's telling that revenge is not good vengeance belongs to god and we are not to take revenge can you see the paramount expectation that jesus has put upon his followers and dear brothers and sisters by every passing day we need to strive to live out a life like that and then jesus talks about loving our enemies we are to love even our enemies before i talk about the love of enemies i want to talk to you about iceberg have you ever seen an iceberg it is said that the titanic hit an iceberg on its maiden journey and crashed in the atlantic if you see an iceberg what you see on the top of an iceberg is nothing in comparison to what lies beneath the iceberg the latest technologies and latest photographs gives us a clearer picture on how an iceberg looks above water and beneath the water an iceberg can be uh, 100 feet above water but it can go 200 to 300 400 feet beneath the water what jesus says over here is that you have to be the same below as what you are shown outside for an iceberg what the people see is what is above the water what is beneath the water nobody can see and likewise in our character what the world around us people around us can see is how we talk how we relate and how we deal things and all but nobody can see our heart what jesus says in these teachings is that we need to be the same person inside out very transparent person this is how a kingdom citizen lives in every realm of their life can i hear an amen church amen and that's where jesus is calling us now come to loving your enemies matthew chapter 5 and this verse 43 you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy so what were the pharisees and the teachers of the law teaching uh, the jews in jesus time 
they were teaching in the synagogues and uh, in the places where they met that you need to love your neighbor. But you know those Romans, those tax collectors who are your enemies, those Gentiles who don't belong to the covenant, you are to hate those people. And if you look at how the Israelites, the Jewish people related to the foreigners and other communities in the Old Testament, we know that they practiced this. They loved their neighbors, but they hated their enemies. But look at the context in Leviticus from where Jesus is deriving this principle of loving neighbors and loving their enemies. Come to Leviticus chapter 19 and this verse 18. God spoke to the Israelites gathered at Mount Sinai about how they are to live in their community life together. And first of all, God says that you need to love your neighbor. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. God said to the people of Israel, Love your neighbor, but God never said, hate your enemy. See how people in Jesus' time, the leaders have twisted God's word and said, you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By looking at the history of Israel, we know that they hated their enemies. So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is taking a command given by God to Moses and the children of Israel a profound command that has been misunderstood and mishandled uh, during the times of Jesus and giving the right meaning to the command of loving your neighbor. Let us read the context of this command from Leviticus and find out who is a neighbor for a Jew. Open your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15 to 18. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now the neighbor in the immediate context of Leviticus chapter 19 is a fellow Jew or a fellow Israelite. Look at the stress on the neighbor in this entire passage. As we have that verse displayed on your screen, look at that. Look at verse 15 to 18. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not spread slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Do not hate a fellow Israelite. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. Do not hold any grudge against among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. So who is neighbor for an Israelite over here? Who is the neighbor of a Jew? Their immediate people, immediate family members, their distant relatives, the next house neighbor, and their tribesmen and women, and the people of other tribes, the 11 tribes or 12 tribes of Israel. They are the neighbors. 
God knew right in the Old Testament when God gave the laws to Moses that it is very difficult to practice love sometimes with our own people. When we stay with people, when we have different kinds of association with our own people, many times relationship can get sour and it can get very stressful. And our closest of friends can sometimes become our enemies. According to this text, who is our neighbor? Who is your neighbor? My neighbor is my immediate family, my distant relatives, my neighbors who are next door, staying in front of me and behind around me, and the colleagues whom I work with. And can you imagine how sometimes these relationships can be so stressful? As you are listening to this message, is there any conflict in your immediate relationships? Maybe distant family members, husband-wife relationship, parent-children relationship? It is a command of God that we need to set things right in our immediate relationship. If God is reminding of some relationship that is not set right, this is a reminder of the Holy Spirit. Set things right in love. All disputes can be solved in love. And today, would you take that step as a child of God, as a kingdom person who is transformed inside out to set things right wherever the enemy has taken a foothold in disrupting those relationships? Amen? Have you ever badmouthed your neighbor? Is there any resentment or anger with those people? If there is hostility in any of those relationships, God is calling you to set things right. God wants you to first work on those relationships, your neighbor, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew documents, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So here is Jesus giving us the meaning of the law of Moses and the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor. And if God is reminding certain relationships that has to be set right, today is the day to reconcile and bring that relationship from your side to a loving relationship and settle disputes. Let us move forward. The Old Testament also gives further explanation or details about neighbor. It does not contain with immediate family members or neighbors or tribesmen or their own community. But God goes on to define who is a neighbor in an extended circle. Come to Leviticus Chapter 19, verse 33 to 34. When a foreigner, see very clearly, God is including other communities, foreigners, people other than our way of thinking, people other than the way uh, we talk or way we live are included in the so-called neighbor definition of God. Let's read that again. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat him. 
the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So now God defines to Israelites who are the neighbors. First definition of a neighbor is their immediate people, their immediate community. Second definition, God is broadening it and he's telling even the foreigners, the nations around you, and they, when they come to your community, they become your neighbor. Israel had immigrants or foreigners who would come into their land or community for work, for opportunity. And Israel had to show hospitality and treat them well, love them and welcome them to the community. So God in the Old Testament had given clear definition of who a neighbor is. A neighbor is everyone we come across in our lives, whether our close people or people from other community or even a foreigner. God had asked Israel to love their fellow Jews and also love the foreigners around them. Let us come back, fast forward to the time of Jesus. Who is the neighbor, immediate neighbor for the Jewish community? Again, their own people, the 12 tribes of Israel and their people and the teachers and the people scattered around uh, the different parts of the Greek or Roman world. But who is their enemy? The enemies of Israel were huge during the time of Jesus. It started with the Roman occupation, the Roman soldiers, and they were there out in the streets to bring the Roman law and allegiance to Caesar in the land of Israel. The Romans had even battalions near the temple where the Jews would come and worship, waiting to stop any uproar against the Caesar and the Roman government. So the Jews considered these Roman soldiers and the Roman occupation as the greatest enemy. So Jesus is addressing such a community when they're seeing that soldier in the dress and trying to come and suppress the Jewish fight for freedom and their kingdom. They are the enemies in the land and Jesus is addressing such a people who have got that animosity towards these Romans who are over there in their streets. And then the enemies included the tax collectors. The tax collectors were Jewish people, but they were collecting exorbitant taxes from their own people. They became rich in the process and they gave the taxes to the Roman government. So they had a lot of enemies around them. And remember, Israel had been living under the iron rod of military dictators for over 600 years now. The foreign nations have come and plundered them. And they become very angry with these people and are considering everybody around them as their enemies. They were first taken over by the Assyrians and then Babylon and then Persians came and took over. And then the Greece came and took over. They were under Egypt for some time and now they are under Rome and they had created this animosity right from the childhood. These people will grow up with animosity towards other nations and Gentiles around them because they were oppressing them. And Jesus comes up with a profound statement that you are to love your enemies, not hate your enemies. Amen? So Jews were good at loving their neighbor at least, but they hated their enemies. 
Jesus picks up Leviticus chapter 19 and he expands it beyond what any rabbi in his day did. It is not just loyalty to their own people of Israel. It is not just not care and uh, concern for the people in Israel but also to the foreigners and the enemies of Israel and the immigrants and the foreigners who are residing among them and Jesus says that the love that God is commanding in Leviticus 19 is love without boundaries how is our love have we segregated our love only to certain people certain communities and we have decided that we will not love them and we do not have anything to do with them that is not how a kingdom citizen behaves that is not the attitude of a kingdom person a child of god jesus says that my disciple has a love that is beyond any boundaries it is love without boundaries it is love for your friends and love and prayer for your enemies as well love the people who love you and love the people those who hate you you may ask me pastor why should i love my enemies the answer is you love your enemies because god loves his enemies that's the nature of god remember that we were all once enemies of god and god has loved us colossians chapter 1 verse 21 once you were alienated from god and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior romans chapter 5 verse 10 for we were god's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son god loved us while we were still his enemies and this god is calling his people to love their enemies Second reason we should love our enemies is because when we love our enemies we reflect the nature and the character of our heavenly father Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 and 45 But I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you why why should I do that verse 45 that you may be children of your father in heaven Loving the enemy is the nature of our God and we as his children when we love our enemies we have the father's nature in us by the way where did jesus get this profound teaching from where did jesus get this principle of loving your enemy i would say two ways jesus got this principle first he got it from the nature the weather around us and you can also understand god's love in the weather i will tell you now secondly he understood it from the scripture that was given over to him let us look at the weather jesus himself says in matthew chapter 5 verse 45 he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous jesus is looking at how things work in the created world Have you noticed that when you go for a long drive you come across beautiful pieces of land and geographical area where there are green mountains beautiful trees waterfalls and streams and river and the trees are so green and you feel to be in that place for a long time 
you feel that this place is so blessed but if you keep on driving maybe another 2 to 3 or 4 hours invariably we'll all come across dry land dry mountains no river no waterfall no green plantation at all there may be thorn bushes useful for nothing and dry sand and land and what if you think to yourself that the by drive maybe 3 hours before when i saw that green vegetation is a friend of god and this dry land what i'm seeing now is the enemy of god does it work that way that is very wrong theology god is not like that this is like job's friends coming and telling job that you are suffering because god uh, is punishing you it is like the retributive theology of god's punishment no god is fair god equally loves the dry land and god equally loves the green vegetation it's not that god is a friend of one and the enemy of other now come with me and imagine two farmers who are in adjacent fields one farmer he is a very nice man he treats his laborers fairly and gives them good salary he does not cheat on scales nor cheat on his taxes he is a very good man but the farmer on the adjacent side he is a very wicked man he does not pay well for his laborers he cheats on his weighing scales and he cheats on his taxes now we may know that one is a good farmer and one is a evil farmer but consider when god sends his nature the sunshine and the rain and the weather and the wind and the snow does god show favor to the good one and not show favor to the evil one god is impartial jesus observes that the farmer who is good receives the same rainfall and weather as the farmer who is bad they both receive the same life giving rain and sunshine god does not treat the wicked they need to be treated god is fair and loving and god causes the rain and the sun to come upon both good and evil jesus has a god saturated view about the world there is something in the weather that reveals god's bounces of generosity and this is how god wants us to behave god does not treat people differently he does not give gifts to people according to how they behave however jesus firmly believes that finally god will put all things right and god will hold every individual and whole humanity accountable for what they have done and every one will have to give an account but this is a moment of god's grace and god's grace and sunshine and weather and favor comes equally upon the good and the bad and god wants us as his children to love our neighbors and even our enemies secondly look at the scripture jesus got this principle from the old testament scripture psalm 145 was 8 and 9 the lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love the lord is good to all he has compassion on all that he has made the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing 
probably Jesus had this psalm in mind when he was preaching this message. And if God is like that, if God is generous, God wants us to be generous and love even our enemies. God's love goes beyond all boundaries. Jesus draws a very powerful conclusion and Jesus says that if this is what God is, what must be the people of the kingdom be like? Loving both good people and evil people. This is what is meant by agape love. When we talk about the word love in English, it has its own limitations. We say, I love pizza, I love my dog, and I love my children. The same word we use for different expressions of love. And it is very limited. What Jesus is talking here is about, the scholars say, agape love, which is not just words, but it is a feeling and out of that feeling of love, you go and do some action to that person who has even hurt you. And that is agape love. Amen? We are talking about an attitude, a mindset, and then an action of love that flows from the mindset of love. God has chosen to perform actions of kindness and generosity towards us and towards all people, regardless of how they behave to God. And now Jesus asks his disciples to choose to view the person as God sees that person. Amen? Within God's plan, every person is important. Every person is valid. They are human beings. They are made in the image of God. They might be messed up. They may have a different religion or different philosophy or different concept of life. But people are made in the image of God. And God has chosen to come in Jesus and do an act of love for mankind while we were running away from God. And if we are God's children, God is calling us for love and prayer for people who are even our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Human beings are pretty decent in loving their own people, isn't it? Yes, there are problems within their community, but when it comes to our own group, our family, our language, our ethnicity, majority of the human beings are pretty good to love their own people. And Israel was equally good. They loved their own people. The problem is that we tend to love people who are in our community and... There is a tendency in the world, in the people, to hate people from other groups, other language, and other communities. We are self-centered with our agape. That's what Jesus is pointing out. Think to our own self. Are we self-centered with our agape? Most of us, when we get into a room full of people, for example, when we come to church, we probably will connect only to people whom we know and we are comfortable with. We are so self-centered in how we behave. I don't want to go to a stranger and connect 
because I do not know what I will get from that person. That's the mindset of people. So what we do, we find for familiar people, people with our mindset, people whom we feel that we can have a good friendship with or a good fellowship with and we intentionally go and connect with such people. But what about the people in that community who are unconnected right in the church, right in our neighborhood, who are new to the area, who are from a different language or different community? Jesus says, show agape and generosity to everybody. Don't treat people differently. Theologian Paul Reinhold Neighbor said, groups are more immoral than individuals. That means groups of people as a community are more immoral than individuals in a group. Probably we will not do as much sin towards another community when we are individuals. But when we come as our own group and communities, there are chances that this community can cause a great harm to another community. And sometimes there are certain behavior that we do not do as an individual, but when we get together as a group of people, we may participate or approve of doing harm to another group of people. What kind of community are we? What kind of God's people are we? Are we having animosity towards some people group, some community? Are we teaching our kids some sort of animosity towards others, other people and other communities? Most of the time, a child learns hatred animosity towards others and anger towards other people and other communities right from the mother's breast. They have heard it right from the time they are born, their parents speaking over it. Growing up, this child has inborn hatred towards people and some people in the society. And there is a bias that has brought into him right from his birth. This is not what Jesus is telling us. Do you talk ill about people in your homes? Parents, do you badmouth your close relatives or some community or others around you in your homes and your children are hearing that? Are you sowing the seed of animosity towards somebody among your children by word or deed? God loves even his enemies and we as parents must be be careful not to sow the seed of hatred in our children. Very profound teaching. The kingdom is not a community where we operate like the world operates. But the kingdom is a community where God's children reflect how our father operates. How does our father in heaven operate? Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. We read this and hang up. Oh, I cannot be perfect. God is perfect. I agree. But I cannot be perfect. Scholars who have studied Greek, they tell us that this is not meaning us to be perfect, quote unquote. But this is asking us to be mature. In other words, grow into maturity like our heavenly father is perfect. This word is used to describe someone who has reached a maturity point in their growth and development as a human. 
And Jesus is giving us the idea of here of being complete, mature as a Christian. A mature Christian will treat everyone equally, love both his friends and his enemies. What is biblical love? Biblical love is love in action, agape love. To choose to relate to all with dignity, regardless of their behavior or what they have done to me or to do a concrete act of kindness. This is a command for us to be mature Christians. Love your enemies. But this command also comes with a promise. Jesus says that if you do love your enemies, we are becoming and behaving in maturity like our Father in heaven. This was not just the teaching of Jesus. Later, his disciples spoke about love. Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12 says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When we love without boundaries, we become the children of our heavenly father and we can produce the fruit of maturity as a Christian in our own lives. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, violence multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King Jr. went ahead to say, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. My dear brother, my dear sister, where do we stand in this profound command of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we having animosity in our heart towards somebody, some family member, immediate or distant? Are we having hatred to some group of people? Is there anybody who has become your enemy over the last couple of years? God is speaking to us this morning. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And the greatest example is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
Imagine Jesus lying on the cross, not getting justice in the courts of Rome or the courts of the Hebrews. He hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He's praying for his oppressors. He's praying for forgiveness upon the enemies who put him on the cross. And the same was translated when Stephen in Acts chapter 7 was stoned to death. He's praying forgiveness upon the people who are stoning him to death. This is true Christianity. And the world expects Christians to behave like this because our master Jesus has commanded his disciples to love his enemies. Love our enemies. This is true essence of Christianity and the world expects the Christians to behave like this because our master Jesus has commanded us to love our enemies. Amen. Can you just commit yourself into the hands of God and tell, fill me with that love. I know with my own self, I cannot do this. Lord, I need your grace. I want to forgive the ones who have hurt me. I'm here with a lot of burden thinking about that person, this person. They did not help me in the time of need. They have isolated me and I'm all alone, Lord. Commit your pain into the hands of God and God will give you that healing right now in your emotions. And practice love. Ask God the grace to practice love. How can you do that? Forgive those who have hurt you. Right now, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. God is asking you to have the heart of forgiveness. And if you ask for it, God will fill you with that heart right now. Secondly, pray for them. Jesus taught us and he demonstrated for us. Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Consider your enemies victims too. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have faults and we have all fallen short of the glory of God and consider your enemy as a victim of this world. Do good to them when you have the opportunity. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Can you ask for a forgiving heart? I want to close with what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we conclude this sermon, we can find about the love of God with the parable that Jesus spoke about the Good Samaritan. Remember, the Good Samaritan, it can also be called the parable of the good enemy. The Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. A Jewish person is probably lying on the road and a priest goes and a Levite goes and he is not even bothered about that person. And a so-called enemy of the Jews, a Samaritan walks by that place. He has compassion on this person and he takes care of this person. Luke chapter 10. What an example. What a parable of Jesus Christ about loving enemies demonstrated in this parable of the good enemy. God wants us to work like that. Loving even the ones who do not deserve our love. Amen. Amen.